All right, what's going on, Slicksy Snails? Welcome back to the podcast. We're going to start it off with the sports segment, and then plenty of other segments are going to come up right after us. So stick so, around. Stick around, and let's get right into it. Um, we're going to talk favorite teams. We're going to come back to football here because a lot of, ha- lot of stuff is happening in football. Football right now, a lot of stuff is going on. My favorite team right now is the 49ers. They're 4-0. and They're doing super well in football right now. <clears throat> Worst think- team in football. All right, well, that's a hot take right there, and definitely a wrong one. But uh, they're doing super well, great team, great chemistry, and they, I think they can totally win it for sure. You know who else is a good team? What? The Seahawks, buddy. Seahawks suck. They're not doing, have you seen the 49ers play? They're not doing nearly as good as the you 49ers. You guys have a bum quarterback. Brock Purdy? Dude, worst your team is so bad. Your team is so bad. Geno Smith is the best quarterback in the game. Yeah, but that's yeah, all you have. 30 years ago. You only have a quarterback. But we have DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. Nah, that's like, that's an awful Who the 49ers have? They've spent like $100 million over their cap cut. Nah, nah. They are just, 49ers would absolutely destroy the Seahawks any day of the week. Mm, no, that's why you guys lost to the Eagles last year. Well, y'all play two times a year, so Seahawks we'll are happens. the best team in the year. In <laughs> the NFL, Lewis, go. Who's your favorite team then? My favorite team is the, the Green Bay Packers. Uh, You're joking, actually, right? Nope, but they've actually won the one, then first and second Super Bowl. They also have four Super Bowl wins, and a cool thing that's. But didn't you guys lose them, to Atlanta? We lost to Atlanta. This so we're actually two and two right now. Yeah, yeah. Beat, that means you guys are We beat in Chicago. We beat in. Chicago's zero and four. We beat in Chicago. We beat in New Orleans, and we lost to Atlanta and Detroit. But what's a cool, what's a really cool, unique thing about the Packers is that the Packers, um, the, they don't have an owner. The owner is the fans. Oh, that is kind of cool. That's true. I mean, you guys did still lose to the Lions in the Atlanta, mm-hmm. so they're not very good. All right, Morelli, who do you think your favorite team is? My favorite team is the Chiefs because they got a really good quarterback like Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, fair enough. Speaking about the Chiefs, um, have you heard that Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift are now dating? Yeah, I've seen that. She's been going to, like, I think the past two games she went to them, and she's been, like, supporting him, and a bunch of people are, like, making up, like, rumors that they're dating. And, yeah. Like, yeah. She's hanging around Mama Kelsey, so well, I would assume they're dating. I saw him backstage. How do you feel that, that I mean, Taylor really Swift is actually a Eagles fan, which is Jason Kelsey's team, which is Travis Kelsey's Is brother. she actually I've an Eagles that. fan? Yeah, she, she has a song, and she, like, mentions it, that she's oh. an Eagles fan. Oh, interesting. That's pretty crazy. Cool. I mean, Jason Kelsey... It is insane too. So, but he does have a wife. Yeah, he has a wife. So, I mean, Taylor Swift can't be going for Travis. I mean, Jason. Yeah, that's that's also true. All right. So, now we're gonna talk about the power rankings. Power rankings, pretty popular website. It just shows the rankings for all the football teams so far. So, rank one right now is the San Francisco 49ers. Worst team. Worst team in the NFL. Second place gonna go to the Kansas City Chiefs. Third place is the Buffalo Bills. And fourth place, Philadelphia Eagles. Fifth place is the Dallas Cowboys. Okay. That's just so far. And then, all right, so what's, what's your like? What's your top five, not the power rankings? Like, what's your own power rankings? Rank your own teams. Well, I obviously think personally that the 49ers are the best. I think they're going to win it for sure. Um, best team out there. Okay, like, that's one, buddy. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think the Bills, they're doing really good. Great team. Uh, great synergy. Um, the Miami Dolphins, though, uh, I like the Miami Dolphins. I think they're just like a decent team, um, and they're doing well so far at like sixth place right yeah, now. Yeah, I think they are good too. Miami Dolphins. I mean, they're three and one, lost to the Bills, 
But I think they have a lot of potential with their everyone. Yeah. And I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers can for sure pull through, maybe get a higher place. So wow. Far. Wow. Okay. What's your fifth what's your fifth then? My fifth? I mean, statistically, I think that the Baltimore Ravens also could be a pretty good pick. Mr. Mowers team? Yeah. No, they're they're trash. Alright, I'll send my top five. Is this on the power rankings? The Baltimore Ravens are actually beating the Seahawks. Okay, buddy. Let's be honest here. My one, my number one, is obviously the Seattle Seahawks. My All number team. Okay. My number two is going to be the Eagles. I don't know why Kansas City's ranked above them. My number three is going to be the Bills. My number four, I'm going to have to go with the Dolphins. And then number five, I'm going to say the 49ers. Just because... That's right. Just because they're 4-0, even though they've played no one good. Like, you guys have played the Steelers. They're not very good, okay? Yeah, All right, sure. Lewis, who's your top five? Who's your... My top five probably... Don't say the Packers. Number Nope, no. I actually don't think the Packers are there. I'm not biased like you guys. Yeah, Packers suck. But number one, better than the Seahawks. Just saying. Number one, though, probably say is the San Francisco 49ers. Oh, my just gosh. Just off, they're doing it. That's what I'm You're saying. You're delusional. The team is very dangerous. Their team is very dangerous. They're playing very smart, have good chemistry and stuff like that. Number two, I'd probably put the Buffalo Bills. I can agree because with you. Because I, like, I feel like the Buffalo Bills also, like, working as a team now. They're starting to get, like, oh, uh, like good now. Stuff like that. Number three, I would put the Philadelphia Eagles. They made it to the Super Bowl last year. They, they should have won last year. They should have won last year. They also lost Miles Sanders this year, but they also uh, but they gained DeAndre Swift. DeAndre Swift is so good. Have you seen his dad? He's jacked. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see how they do this season. Number four, I'll probably put the Miami Dolphins. I think they're they have really good weapons. Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, two very fast guys, and then Raheem Mostert in the backfield. And yeah, I also think that Tua can actually like he's like showing everyone like he's actually good now. And number five, I would probably put, I would have to put like, let me think, because there's been a lot of like close games and stuff like that. But I would actually think like, I feel like the Bengals can like come back. They're the one and start. three. They are one and three. But then the last two seasons also, they've started off slow. They have started off slow. I mean, dude, I Joe, Joe Burrow's Burrow, on my fantasy team, and he is doing I think, so bad. Yeah, I know. But I think Joe Burrow could pull it together. Him, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, uh, Tyler Boyd. They Nixon. have an insane team. They like, have a really good offense, really good defense. I think they just need to, like, see what was happening last season. Yeah, he, he, he is the highest paid in NFL history quarterback. I mean, like, I think, honestly, the 49ers, they're just doing so well right now. It's just like... They won 35-16 to 16 over Arizona. That's like, that's crazy. And it's over Arizona. Double the points, though. Arizona. Double the points. Arizona. Double the points. Arizona. Double the points. Arizona. I don't know what to tell you, man. It's Wait, just when's like, the last time they won a Super Bowl? When's the last time they won a Super Bowl? I exactly, <laughs> exactly. Be quiet. Exactly. Well, fair enough. All right, guys. And with that, we are running out of time for the sports segment. So, going to pass it on to the tech group with Cole, Tony Teen, Joaquin, and Xander. I really hope you enjoyed their segment. Thank you for listening to ours, and have a great rest of your day. Thank you to the sports group. I'm Tonetzin. And I'm Joaquin. I'm Cole. I'm Xander. And we are the tech group. With updates in tech. Today we are talking about the XR stage. It's a virtual production, like a set piece. And the stage is led by an 8K display that uses 120 frames per second. 
What is the virtual production XR stage? It replaces the green screen because with the green screen, they have like a lot of light that will bleed on to our skin and our clothes. Yeah. And it makes it very difficult to edit it out. It takes hours and hours to fully get that light glare off. So it's like a projector of sorts? Yeah, it like projects a very real looking background behind the person and it is like a 3D parallax, right? Yeah, like a 3D environment that with the shots can like move the person through the environment that's created on Unity, which is a software program for 3D rendering. For example, most games use Unity as well as a lot of movies use it for their CG. Yeah, and just to explain parallax, basically when you look at something, it gives you depth perception because you have two eyes. If you were to close one eye, then you wouldn't have parallax. Some people can like move their eyes independently or like Mm -hmm. uh, split out or in and you can make objects like merge or come apart. That reminds me of a feature that the virtual XR production stage can do is that it can use two cameras for two different shots and one camera they split the FPS since it's a 120 FPS the camera shoots 60 frames per second and so with that one camera blinks and the other one gets a frame the other one blinks as well and gets a frame and they don't have the same shot yeah it's like a staggered stacking of frame rate it's quite interesting yeah. So is there only one virtual production XR stage so far, or are there multiple in use? A lot of studios are getting them contracted so that the company will come in and they'll start making it for you and get it in your production stage. You know what would be really funny is if we had one of those at school. That would be funny. It's like... Just I, in our auditorium. I can't imagine it's cheap. Well, it's definitely not. It's I, a million-dollar stage, million, but our school, yeah. we could afford it and... yeah. I mean, what if we had a century? Yeah, I mean, what if we had a film class and we just had this ridiculously expensive technology for no reason, and then we could shoot um, like production level films in our school? We would make the money back doing it. Oh yeah, yeah. It'd probably take a while. Good. Remember, good direction is very important. Exactly. But then, when this school turned into a film school and not a science school, it could have science implemented into it. Yeah, it could. We could make science films. Let's do it. Wouldn't that be sick? (laughs) Let's advocate. Yeah. Let's go to Miss Powell right now. Yes. And ask her if we can get a virtual production stage. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So far, what has the XR stage been used in? Good question. The Mandalorian, for example, how the shots look so beautiful. Well, they're fake. They're phony. (laughs) It was all on the virtual production stage with beautiful landscapes, beautiful backgrounds. You saw canyons and deserts. It was all fake. They had lights on the ceiling. They had lights in the background that would emulate the light that was in the scene. Mm -hmm. So when you see like, oh, how would this environment look with the light? It's all reflected accurately on their skin and on their clothes. It's like a tracking. I don't know like how they do it per se, but it's like it is a tracking and the camera will like kind of swivel towards the person with a box. So for the two cameras, how do they track the subject? So with editing on the side, they pick the subject. Let's say it's me, and then they're going to have on the camera a gray box that surrounds me. The gray box isn't on the set, or it's not going to be in the film. 
it's just showing where the camera's field of view is. So it moves around and then there will be another camera with another gray box. Let's say the shot, they just want to have like a landscape shot that's a little bigger and then one that's focused in on that landscape. It will be centered and tracking. Yeah, it must be really confusing for people who are not the center of the shot. I wonder if it'd make them a bit sick to see their environment moving around instead of them as, as the subject moves around. I think that'd be kind of funny to see in person. I would want to see it in person. Yeah. Field trip, maybe? Yeah, <laughs> field trip. I mean, we did just get back from a field trip where we saw a cart with a big camera on it. It was a film media production. Oh, right. We got to sit on it and roll the trolley around. It, it takes like three people to operate the whole system. Like mm -hmm. one person controls the focus. The other person sits on the chair and controls the pitch and yaw. Do you think that camera could be used on the stage? Yeah. I don't see why not. You just need a track and uh, like a $25,000 camera. <laughs> Was it a red camera? A red like color or the no, brand? No, uh, the brand, yeah. I don't know. I didn't read it. It was a very nice camera, mm. very big and expensive. I don't know much about cameras, but it was really cool seeing uh, the remote, which has a knob that you turn to control mm. the focus, and you directly see a gear turn the lens on the camera in real time. The latency was like zero. It was pretty crazy. Was it like already color graded or were they... Do you know the word where it's like the... It's just almost like gray scaled? For cameras so that you can color grade it on your own like through editing yeah do you know the word that they use no I don't what, what's the purpose of it it's just to make it easier for color grading where it like keeps in all the quality but it doesn't have to deal with HDR processing and so it's like you can do your own processing on top of the footage what do you mean by the color grading I, I'm not I'm not very familiar with camera work Color grading is just making it so that you can customize the colors on a film to how you want them. Let's say you come into an environment with full green, but you're looking for more of a like goth mood or something. You can make it like a black and white image because oh, of the yeah. color grade. Um, so like filters, lens yeah. filters. Is it like a color correction? Color correction. That's another word for it as well. Ah, uh, color yeah. correction. Yeah, yeah. So like color correction is like helping any of those colors like maybe get more vibrant or darker yeah. and then color grading is more of like the full picture on its own. I think that's usually done in post. Yeah, um, But the camera was just regular colors, live footage with no filters. Oh, okay. Interesting. It was cool. And uh, it was a slow motion camera. It was very smooth. I don't know what it shot at, but I would guess maybe 500 frames per second. 500 frames per second. I'm guessing. Yeah. I don't know. It was very smooth. Mm. It was pretty sick. Is it possible that like high-quality phone brands could use this kind of thing? Uh, well, we have seen some fantastic technology with the Google Pixel. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've seen the advertisement where some guy zoomed up to some sort of buoy in the middle of the ocean, and you could barely see it zoomed out, but then he zoomed in all the way, and then you could just like see this person waving. <laughs> really good quality. Yeah, I think I did see that. Yeah. Google Pixel has amazing like photography, but I very much think that the iPhone has really great video. Yeah. 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 I think it's always interesting to see the competition that they bring with that. I don't think that the iPhone photo quality has gotten better because over the models it's kind of gotten worse and they've just upped the prices and the more expensive and less data you'll actually have with your phone. Interesting. So like you mean the image files have gotten bigger? Yeah, they've gotten bigger and you're going to have to pay more and more for more storage, like 20 bucks a month for like 15 terabytes of storage. 
Man, 15 uh, terabytes, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, you can, there are terabyte SD cards, but also data is getting cheaper, or storage is getting cheaper over time as transistors get smaller. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's the end of our tech segment for today. We will now hand it off. Let's go. Bye. See you next Thursday. Thank you, Tonetzin, Joaquin, Xander, and Cole. Welcome to Games and Garbage uh, with your hosts, me, Zen. Uh, me, Roman. And me, Luciano. So excited to be here. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Um, I'm going to hand it off to Luciano with uh, recent game releases. Oh, yeah. yeah, so we're going to start with the game reviews. And, well, there's no new games coming out. <laughs> so we're just going to do the ones that... There's Liza P that's going to come out. or No, it's already out. And... Spider-Man 2, which is about to release on October 20th. Both games have been said that they will be basically spin-offs of the old games again. <laughs> but Liza P is supposed to be somewhat of a game like a Dark Souls type of like gameplay. Oh, okay. And then Spider-Man 2 is just going to be another spin-off. <laughs> it's just going to be with more add-ons. And then the map is supposed to be the two maps of the old games just combined. So it's going to be really huge now. <laughs> yeah? Well, what do you guys think? You guys think they'll be good? Um, I mean, probably. Probably pretty good. I think that the last Spider-Man game was pretty good, right? Mm -hmm. Or not the, like, the first one, the original Spider-Man. I heard that the Miles Morales one was kind of iffy. Yeah, I played, yeah, I played this the Miles Morales one, and it was, like, short. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, Miles Morales was really short, but I heard the, the gameplay was really, really clean, though. Yeah. Yeah, it was said that the gameplay for Miles Morales was good, like especially with like the new electricity power that Miles had. Oh yeah, that was sick. Yeah, <laughs> and they're also gonna apparently make it so Miles' his lightning is gonna be more powerful. So they made it show like blue instead of yellow, mm -hmm. and they're also gonna give them both glide suits out of their like spider like web. Yeah, I've, I've seen Miles Morales' gameplay. It was like really like visceral and satisfying. I really liked that. Yeah, it was it was, it was really smooth, especially with the way he like makes tricks in, in the air. That was really good. Yeah, so Spider Man Two is gonna kind of be like those uh, like the original Spider Man and Miles Morales kind of stitched together. Yep, basically, and they're also gonna bring back like yes. more, more like the old villains from the movies and comics. That sounds really cool. Oh, that sounds really cool. Yeah, and then people are excited for that. Yeah, and Liza P is just gonna be. I think the story is based off like. Uh, like a Pinocchio type of thing is what I've been hearing, based off like reviews and also the websites what they're trying to say from there. And seeing based off the gameplay like trailer, it looks very similar to a Dark Souls game. <laughs> Just like really based off like a story based now. Pinocchio Dark Souls is not the direction I was expecting this to take. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sounds cool though. But yeah, it does sound cool. Yeah, those are the two games. Now I'm gonna pass it off to Zen. <laughs> Yeah, we got uh, gaming news. Uh, in the news this week, um, the Screen Actors Guild of America has authorized a strike against 10 major gaming corporations. Uh, that includes Activision, Epic Games, EA, some uh, big companies. Um, the employees of those companies are authorized to strike now. It passed 98.32% uh, in favor of the strike. So almost unanimously uh they haven't started striking yet something bad must have happened yeah what's the strike about um i mean mostly just kind of bad conditions yeah, you know yeah uh, um so what so like that in particular set them off like these these companies have always been bad what set them off this time i think it's just kind of you know it's always the, been like parasites yeah the years of that <laughs> you know 
years of that uh, abuse, I guess you could say, yeah. like being underpaid, overworked, I guess it's just, you know, finally. Pressure builds. Yeah, and also the fact that the um, we had like the writer's strike um, like the past few months, I think, you know, has encouraged these video game companies, the employees of these companies to strike. Um, I think it's warranted because, <laughs> you know, we've seen some of the bad conditions, especially at Activision, you know. With, yeah. You know. It's been seen by a lot of other companies, too, and not just them. <laughs> yeah. It'll probably, you know, have pretty big consequences for those companies, you know. They might they might lose, uh, the, the price of their stock might go down. <laughs> as long as big companies lose money, I'm all for it. Yeah. Exactly. They could negotiate their way out of a strike still, but would you guys even want that? Because, I mean, like you said, big companies losing money, you know. Yeah. That, this is great. This is incredible. Yeah. Yeah, based off of that, you have a lot of money. I don't think it'd be too bad. Big corporations lose, everybody wins. Yeah. That's the way that works. <laughs> yeah. What, what do you hope these workers get out of the strike? Uh, do you... I kind of hope they well, do get like, better conditions at this point. Yeah, <laughs> like, um, yeah more I, pay. More pay. I certainly hope this results in better wages and conditions because if the if the devs have a better work environment, that will make for better games as a consequence. So. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. So yeah, I'd I'd like that for two reasons. Just for like one, like basic, like common decency, ethical reasons, and two, uh, it'll make the games better as a byproduct. Yeah, it really would. I agree. <laughs> Well, uh, we'll see in the next few weeks if they're actually going to strike or if maybe they'll find a way out of it. But either way, you know, if they do manage to negotiate out of it, that does still mean better conditions. So that's still a good thing. I'll hand it off now to Roman. Yeah, be sure to tune in next time for what Zen was saying. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the dump. Um, today I will be talking about a special little game that I think everybody here loves. I'll be talking about Terraria today. It is a game released by Relogic in 2011, and that is according to Terraria's Steam store page. It is an open-world survival game with a progression system. The progression, it's exactly what it sounds like. It, it progresses over time. Your character gets stronger, and the gameplay becomes more interesting. It's open-world, so you can go where you feel like. There's, there's no particular guided objectives. Terraria can either be very difficult... So let me explain something. So Terraria is procedurally generated, which means a computer is given a set of rules and generates a bunch of data, which makes a world. And that varies a lot and makes every individual playthrough interesting. And that's one of the reasons I love Terraria. And at this point, have like 1,500 hours on because I've just been playing it for so long. <laughs> I, just, I just don't get tired of it. I remember I used to play that game so long ago. But... <laughs> When I first started it, it was really complicated to me, yeah. especially with how much you had to like find every single little thing around. For me, it was hard, but after a while, it's, it did get way, way easier. Yeah. yeah, me too. Um, it, it does start out being kind of overwhelming, but you get used to it, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I would look things up on the official wiki page so much that like... Even now, when I'm like looking something up completely unrelated, I'll type Terraria before it. Because I've just like looked up the wiki so much, it's like muscle memory. Just type Terraria before anything, and it's it's taken a very long time to get rid of that habit. Because <laughs> I just use the wiki so much. I yeah, kinda just, I kind of just went around and looked for mods after a while. That's what I've been oh, doing. Oh yeah, the modding is great in yeah. Terraria, dude. I haven't even really gotten around to that yet. I'm still kind of you know not really done with the main game yet I, I have beaten it but you know I'm not like tired of it yet so I, the mods seem kind of daunting but in a good way I think yeah. eventually yeah I'd probably want to get into those yeah mods are pretty great yeah. mods are 
additions to the game not made by developers. They are alternative versions of the game that usually add new content and things, or it could just change a few things. It varies a lot, but either way, people love mods because it essentially makes games immortal. If you're tired of it, just turn it into something else. Yeah, it makes it so much more fun because you can just add something from like an other game into something you want to play more. I'm yeah, like, community modding is like revolutionary. Yeah, a lot of the time, uh, the people who make mods will kind of outdo the people who actually made the game a lot of the time. Yeah. I mean, like, they're like... Uh, like Bethesda games, for example, where they release kind of buggy. Oh, yeah, that's so true. So <laughs> there are mods that kind of fix yeah, a lot like of the problems. Fix, like bug fix is just really obvious. <laughs> yeah. But then I think even for Terraria, you know, I don't think that they've really... It's kind of debatable if they've outdone, but they've certainly gotten very close to the they're Calamity mod. They're definitely on par. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but uh, in regards to the Calamity mod, which is currently the largest and most beloved mod in the Terraria community, so to begin, there are four damage types in Terraria that belong to different classes, which are separated by classes because they do different things. The mage is powerful but uses a limited resource named mana to attack, which it, it, it's infinitely regenerating, but it's, it's consumed and you have to wait for it to regenerate, or use potions, which can be not resource efficient and expensive. And then there's the summoner, which you may summon minions to deal your damage for you. However, you can force them to focus certain targets and you do have an independent damage source known as a whip. It's exactly what it sounds like. You whip the enemies and they'll focus on them. And it also encur- it encourages an aggressive play style and made the summoner fun. And then there's melee, which uses melee weapons. But after a certain point in progression in the game, the weapons start having projectiles. So it's been a source of controversy for a long time. And then there's the ranged class, which uses ammunition to attack. So as long as you're prepared, you won't really be limited by anything mid-combat. And the ranger is very powerful uh, with a lot of different types of ammunition. And they are separated into four damage sources, as stated before. And in the Calamity mod, um, in like some of like the higher ups and like mods and devs of the Calamity mod, um, a lot of them don't like whips because they were saying they're just melee weapons because you just hold left click and it's a short range. They don't like whips because they were just saying they're just melee weapons, which is interesting because a lot of the time the classes kind of like cross over in terms of gameplay. The latter half of the game, the melee, the melee class mostly uses, uses ranged attacks. So... I don't know what, what they're even talking about. And whips whips have revolutionized Summoner, in my opinion. Yeah, um, I mean, whips kind of are just melee weapons, but I think that's fine. Like yeah, That's it, just part of Terraria's gameplay. It's just hold left click. That's that's the whole, it's what it's been centered around forever. Yeah, like, uh, you kind of got to do what you got to do to make Summoner fun, <laughs> e- even if it is kind of just making it a melee weapon, which, you know, that's kind of what they had to do with melee, make it a ranged weapon, so, mm-hmm. you know. It is kind of just a melee weapon, but I think that's fine. I completely agree. Yeah. All right, well, so we're going to be with the fact that for school here at Slixie, there is going to be an advisory class that any of you guys can actually take, and it's for an eSports gaming team. Interesting. Which, also, if you want to know anything else, you can go to Miss Marino's class or Miss Hawkinson or Miss McLeod and ask for any more details you want to know about it. 
as well as there will be a scholarship that they're still planning on to, on doing that they're going to find out more details on how to start it interesting so if you're interested in that you can talk to any of those three teachers and so i guess that's it yep we're going to pass it on to the D thing <laughs> and that's by will hazel and great and gabriel so bye. next tune in next time yeah Thank you, Luciano, Roman, and Zen down at Gabe's and Garbage for that introduction. Now, things are getting dicey. And what you might notice about this episode is I am alive again. I'm no longer dead, but unfortunately, to bring me back, we had to kill Gabriel. It was a sad sacrifice. He, I'm not going to say he wanted to do it because he didn't, but it was, it, it was what had to be done. Don't worry, though. He'll be back soon. I have a Necronomicon. I'm going to his house. I'm it's fine. We, we've got this. He'll be back next time, probably. <laughs> next time, probably, maybe. But on the bright side, I'm Hazel. Yes, you are. And I'm also Will, which is pretty cool. Um, uh, <laughs> and on the brighter, brighter side, we're starting the campaign today. But first, we have one more piece of advice for you. The most important one. If you want to learn how to play D&D... Um, you should play a campaign. It's probably the best way. I feel like we could talk at you for hours about various stats and stuff like that, and you would learn nothing. So I would say that the best way to learn how to play D&D is to actually find someone who's willing to do a campaign with you. Here at Slixy, we actually have a D&D club every Wednesday. So if you're interested in learning how to play D&D, come on down. Maybe you'll find a campaign to squeeze into. Yeah, or maybe you won't. So... Uh, it's time to start the campaign. I will be DMing this campaign. Sadly, Garlic Bread will have to jump in next session because he's still dead right now. Um, but, Hazel, I've heard you have a character that you're going to use for this campaign. You want to tell this us a, a few a little things? A few little... A little you want to give us a little nugget about your character, of Hazel? I am playing Tabaxi Rogue. Tabaxi is like a cat. It's like a cat person. Okay! Let's start this up. Unfortunately for Moira, they are in between jobs right now. They recently got fired from their job at the catnip farm. Um, because unfortunately, Moira uh, ate all the catnip. And so they're kind of looking for a new job in their general town, right? But it's proving more difficult than they expected. There's, it's really difficult to find a job in this town. It's part of a much larger kingdom, although the town you live in only has a few places. There's a very rich section of the town, which doesn't really have too many shops. There's a very market-based section of the town, and there's a very military-based section of the town. Your town is kind of divided. You grew up in the market section. Um, your family owned a small stand for a long time, and then both of your parents died, tragically, on the same day, even. So you're looking through the market section for a job, and unfortunately, it doesn't seem like there's any position that would be available for you. Every shop, every place you go to, slams the door on you. You have a bit of a reputation. You've worked tons of jobs in this place, and it looks like your past actions are kind of starting to catch up with you. And just as you're starting to lose hope, just as you're starting to think, I'm going to be on the streets forever, you see a, a poster. Uh, it's an old parchment poster, probably been out there for quite some time, um, uh, stuck to a wall by a dagger. And you pull the dagger out, you put it in your pocket, and you take down the poster. And the poster says, uh, looking for position, scouting job. 
pay varies. And um, it, it, below it, it lists an address and uh, lots of dollar signs. And it says, big money, big money. And so, um, losing all hope, you decide to take this incredibly sketchy uh, flyer, poster thing, and you walk to the address it lists. And what you're noticing that's weird is this is taking you to the, to the rich part of town. So some rich guy wants this takes you all the way to a very castle-like mansion. You walk up to the front steps of the mansion. Uh, it, has a, it has a big live, laugh, love sign on the front of it. And you go, ugh, oh my god. And you, you knock on the door. The door is opened uh, by a small little goblin man wearing a tuxedo. And he sees that you're holding the little flyer. And he goes, oh! Go inside! And he takes you into his house, you walk through, you see tons of goblins working around in rooms. He has some goblin maids, he has some goblin cooks. They're not even in the kitchen, there's just goblins cooking everywhere. So he sits you down in a little chair next to this big armchair, and he goes, he goes, It's a very simple job. About three days from here, there's a mountain. On the edge of that mountain is the mouth of a cave. I want you to explore that cave. Come on back and tell me what you found. If there's anything valuable down there, if there's anything dangerous down there, I just want you to tell me. Suppose I don't go to the cave, I mean. What if I go into the forest and lay low for a couple weeks, days, come back and tell you everything's good? There's a goblin down there waiting for you at the mouth of the cave. He has been living there for three years. No one has taken this position in three years, and he's been waiting there for three years for someone to take the position. So, once you reach the mouth of the cave, he will send a carrier pigeon to me, alerting me that you have found the mouth of the cave. Then, if you properly explore the cave, he will, um, at the end of your journey, he will tell me, and I will pay you accordingly. Your pay will be determined on how far into the cave you explore. Should I, like, drop a, like, a map or something? Yeah, okay. Drawing up a map would be pretty, pretty nice. Is there a written contract, or is this just, like, a law of words? Oh! He pulls out a massive stack of papers and slams them in front of you. These are all the papers of the contract. Um, the top one has lots of stuff written on it. You take the top one, you go, oh boy. All the other ones are blank. There's nothing on any of the other papers. He just wanted to make it seem like it was a really long, complicated contract by putting a ton of papers in front of you. Um, uh, would you like to read? contract that he gives you yes okay the contract says at the top of it explore this cave for me scouting contract by mr squiglio uh you read down to the to the section where it says disclaimer disclaimer i don't know what's in this cave so you might die um if you don't i'll pay you with lots of money the minimum amount of money i'll pay you for exploring the cave is 100 gold the maximum amount of money i'll pay you is Whatever. And the, um, in the elaborating section, it says, You cannot question my motives. Any questions about why I want to know what's in this cave will be immediately shut down, and you will lose the position. You must explore the cave. You can't just go to the mouth of the cave and go, Okay, we're done here. I will not give you even 100 gold for that. And uh, there's a little section where you can sign your name, and a little section where he can sign his name, and he hands you a fountain pen. I, like, shake some of the ink onto my claw so I can sign the paper. Okay, so you sign the paper with your claw, um, and after doing so, he goes, Oh, me, oh, my! 
I finally did it. I finally got some room to take this. Oh, man. Uh, okay. Have fun. And then he hops off the armchair and runs away. And two massive burly trolls walk up to and go, Mr. Squigglio has requested that you leave the premises now and start your journey towards the mouth of the cave. You speak very well for a troll. And I walk away. On your way out, the trolls hand you a little map and say, This will take you to the mouth of the cave. Um, goodbye. And they slam the door on you. Uh, so no more questions. No more elaboration. It's time to get moving to the cave. And now we're going to be passing the mic over to our wonderful friends down at Culture Cuts, Olivia, Arturo, Henry, and Cole. Thank you, D&D. And now let's start off with our music and culture segment. I'm this week's host, Olivia, and joining me today are Arturo Hello. and Henry. Hi. Okay, and our topic today is how poetry can play into music and culture. All right, and the first question I'm asking today is, how can poetry be used in culture? Henry? Culture is connected to poetry because it can show people's, like, languages and the way they talk. People from all around the world use poetry um, to, like, express, um, I guess, their love of their country. Yeah. I mean, that's how you could also play in poetry with culture. Mm-hmm. Um, it can also show, like, their history, mm-hmm. different cultures' history, because yeah. different, like, poetry sounds different through each time period that they were written in, and that shows, like, how their culture has changed and how their country or how, wherever they are has changed. Mm-hmm. Cultures from all around the world use different types of poetry. For example, I don't know how to say, acrostic, an acrostic poem, a poem in which the first letter of each line spells out a word, name, or phrase when read vertically. Like our school, you know how they use um, CERL or C-E-R-L? It's like that, like a claim, evidence, reasoning, but when you read it vertically, it's like CERL. Yeah, Yeah. makes some other words. So it's like that, but with poem. My, my favorite kind of poem is a haiku because they're easy to make Mm -hmm. and they're just fun little rhymes yeah even though sometimes they don't have to rhyme but it's Mm -hmm. just quick and short and easy to make straight to the point all right um arturo how do you think poetry can also be used in music the way poetry can tie into music is a way of forming rhythm in music and creating a structure i agree i actually do that whenever i write poetry like um if I want to turn a poem into a song, I can just like cut out a few words, make it semantic. Like, I don't know. Hum, hum a rhythm, and then put the words over. Do you think poetry can affect like students' ability to focus in school or interest in the topics that they're learning? Yeah, I I think that if you make a poem to make a class sound less boring, I guess like whatever you're learning about, you can make a poem about that said topic to make it sound more fun. In last year at Slixie, oh yeah, we did a poetry out loud just within your own class, and it was actually a lot of fun because you you didn't make your own poems, but you just read the poems to a rhythm and put emphasis on words, and that made the classes more fun. Yeah, we did that in language arts. Yeah, I'm not sure if they're doing that every year, but I hope that they'll do it every year because it's fun to recite poetry. Yeah. There's actually um, a part of Poetry Out Loud where you go onto a stage and read the poem to an audience. And you can like, I don't know, I think that's like an honors credit. 
Yeah. But I'm not so sure. There was like a, a couple students who went to uh, yeah, stage friend, and read it in front of people. Yeah, my friend actually did it um, last year. She was like really good at it. Mm -hmm. Like she was one of the top people. Yeah. I think they won like prizes for it too. Yeah, I think they want to give something. <laughs> How has poetry tied into your performance in an overall school matter? School matter? Well, I'm really passionate about poetry because like I write it almost, I guess almost every day. Sometimes I just have like a writer's block, but poetry kind of determines my mood. And, you know, I guess that affects how my work is during the day. Do you feel like poetry can help you learn or acknowledge something better? I, I think poetry, I think poetry makes learning a bit more fun, you know? Poetry can also help you like express your emotions mm -hmm. and show people how you feel because yeah. some people aren't great at it, but if you're just writing it down for yourself and then if you show other people then they can know how you're feeling. Actually, me personally, I do that a lot because I can't express my feelings with like talking, so I usually write it down in a poem. So do you think poetry has like a different meaning to each person that writes it or? Um, it can, yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel like poetry can mean something more to a person, I guess. Like it could probably determine or express how they're feeling. Maybe that's like the only way they can express how they're feeling. Another person might write poems for fun and another one might take it like seriously. They might use that uh, poetry as like a career, so. Each person can uh, each person can interpret like the poems they read differently from everyone else so everyone gets a new perspective on poem if they talk about how they perceived it I've actually had friends read my poems and tell me how like, they read it I guess and it could be something that like I did not mean to or like how it was read I didn't mean for them to like read it like that, you know? Yeah. Like I meant for it to be read a certain way, but they read it like a different way. And Henry, how has poetry helped you like in types of grief or trauma? I don't really write poetry that much, but sometimes I, I used to a little bit. I write like the lyrics for some songs, which is pretty much poetry. Mm -hmm. It's pretty much the same thing. So I, I use that to express how I'm feeling because I don't do the poetry very much, but that's pretty similar. And it, it's yeah. it's nice. It's, it's helpful. Like you write music and I write poems. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what about you, Arturo? Personally, me, I don't really like poetry. I feel <gasps> like it could get a little boring. I mean, that's my personal opinion, but right. I feel like music could have a way bigger impact, depending on what type of music you listen to, of course, but poetry has a slow beat and that's just like more of a calming and yes it could help but i feel like music could have a way bigger impact i can see that but poems they can also be like quick paced they can express anger or fear or sadness or joy that can also be expressed by music but i feel like poems they they use stronger words yeah well i mean you can use that in music too. Well, yeah. It's but not like, like it's just depending on what you decide to put in there. And do you guys think if we had the poetry out loud back in Slicy, do you think it could inspire people to go back into it? Yeah, definitely. Because there were a lot of people last year that seemed like they were really into it, mm -hmm. and this year there's new ninth graders who might be interested in it, or yeah. new people that didn't get to do it last year that they might be interested and want to do it mm -hmm. and keep it going. From last year, did you guys enter the poetry a lot? Were you guys in it? 
I was in it in my class, but yeah. my class, they just kind of did like in-class competition, I guess. And then the top three, I guess, winners of the competition would go to the honors poetry out loud and do it in front of the audience. Yeah. So I, I did the same thing too, like just, just within my class, but I, I didn't do that great. So I didn't get to go to the actual competition, but some of my friends did and it seemed like they had a good time doing it. So I think more people would really enjoy if we kept on going. I feel like that's something I would want to do again because last year I didn't put that much effort into it. But now that I'm more into poetry and I'm better at writing poems, I feel like I could be better this year. Thank you for listening to our poetry pep talk and our Slixie Snowcast. I hope you enjoyed our podcast as much as we did doing it. Stay tuned for our fourth episode at Slixie Snowcast. You could also find that on Simplecast or any other podcast website. Thank you for listening.